So it's December 30th. It is 2018. And before we get to our title, this is the seventh message in a series that is focused on the geography of Israel and what you might learn from our older bloodline brothers. This series started way back with shimming the foundation. That's where we looked at the physical descendants of Shem becoming God's people and knowing that there was a specific place for them and a specific plan for them for God to complete his work on earth. We came to the conclusion that we as Gentiles get to experience life from the dead at the same time that they, the original recipients of the plan, do. And it encouraged us to shim up our life, <laughs> to get it right, to get it ready. Anybody shimming your foundation? Yeah. Yes. Next, we went to the fine-tuning the faith of Abraham, where we talked there about the assumptions, about what the Lord has actually spoken to us and how those assumptions can lead us down destructive pathways at times. And the wide and narrow gates of God's temple in Jerusalem and the areas of Hebron teach his people about how close those decisions actually are to each other. Do you remember that a few weeks ago? We must always be repenting because our choices are just feet apart. The path they lead us on are miles apart, and the end result can be kingdoms apart. Next, we went to Israeli fire. Man, what a good message. And this message we focused on Caesarea Maritime. And consequently, it was also the first day of Hanukkah. In that first day of Hanukkah, we learn about the historical evidence of God's fire being with the people of Israel. And it's through the experience with the scriptures and that Israeli fire of God that we Gentiles get the privilege of being set ablaze. From there, we move to a message called Israel Dealing with BS. I don't know whose idea it was to name it that. Uh, That's Wade's. Yeah, it's totally Wade's. (laughs) BS stood for Beit Shin or Beit Shean. And we noticed that from its earliest mentions in the Bible... The world was determined to hang on to it. They had iron chariots there. When you visit its archaeological site today, you see the remains of a megachurch. You see a house of pleasure. You see a sporting arena right off the main drag. And we realize that the same thing that Israel taught us to deal with in the ancient city of Beth Shen, we're still having to deal with today. And we were encouraged to become as determined to liberate the people of the world and keep ourselves pure as they are to hang on to worldly ways. Do you feel Holy Ghost determination left in you? Yes. yes. Next, we went north in Israel. We, went, we talked about negotiating Caesarea Philippi. We talked about how Abraham, Caleb, Daniel, and Peter were Israeli men with different convictions than those around them. And those convictions were based on the word and the revelation that they had received from heaven. When we too hear from heaven like Peter did at Caesarea Philippi and stand on our convictions from that revelation, we're able to advance against the gate of hell and win. Come on, somebody look at your neighbor and say, I want to win. I want to win. On from there, we went to Bethlehem waters and birthing heaven. Come on, we learned about having that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it'll lead to a heavenly water and a spiritual drink. Also learning about the Messiah being the gateway that provides breakthrough and living waters from heaven, first for the nation of Israel and second for the rest of this world. Are you ready to get into today's message? Yes. Would y'all rather just go home? No. No. You know, you could probably go through a drive-thru service somewhere. You, 
You might even be able to text your response to an altar call from your bed at home. Ooh. Ah. Or you could be on a collision course with the Spirit of God Almighty today. Yes. What do you want? Hey, I love you. This is an amazing church. Our, our message today is called Shining on the Face of Hermon. That's, uh, that's the mountain in the northernmost region of Israel. And uh, I want to show you some pictures of Hermon. So Hermon is, uh, in this picture, looks like a reasonable-sized mountain. That's because what you're looking at has many steps and plateaus in it. In fact, Caesarea Philippi that we discussed at other times is in the foothills of Hermon. So you elevate uh, many times before you see this peak. Uh, let's scroll through a couple of them. This, is, uh, this mountain is actually 9,100 feet above the uh, sea level. That's, that's pretty high. Uh, keep going. This is uh, a really different view than some people think of when you think of Israel. Do you see how there is uh, uh, an interaction with the atmosphere that causes moisture to sit in midair between the clouds and Hermon? This is where we get the idea of the dew coming off of Hermon. Do you see how lush and beautiful that is? Let's go to another. But many times in the year, this is what Hermon looks like. Could be mistaken for the Rocky Mountains. It's, it's snow-covered. And uh, sometimes we see it barren. Other times we see it full of life. Other times we see it covered with snow. Let's keep scrolling through them, Joy. Uh, here you get an idea for how steep it is, and you can't tell that from a distance. Jewish settlements built right into the side of it. Keep going, Miss Joy. Uh, this is not in Europe. This is a ski slope in the Middle East. Uh, this is, you know, a couple hundred yards to one direction. You hit uh, Syria. A couple hundred yards to the other direction, we hit another enemy. Uh, and yet they ski right here. Let's take another one. This is Hermon in the summer. And our projectors haven't worked quite right today. And uh, it's difficult to see. That looks barren. There's, there's almost nothing on it. Look at it in the winter. One of the most amazing things about Hermon is that its face changes throughout the year. And that on a clear day, you can see all the way from the region of the Dead Sea, 120 miles in the south, all the way forward to Hermon, 120 miles north. Hermon is big enough that it can be seen from almost every spot in Israel, which means it's one of the focal points on a clear day. And almost all of Jesus' ministry, almost every time, he could always see this place. You should probably know that Hermon means sacred mountain. It is the source of the Jordan River. Caesarea Philippi is at its foothills, and the Jordan comes in three tributaries out of it. And the Jordan goes all the way down to the Dead Sea, and you can see from the Dead Sea to Hermon. Is that interesting? Look, I want to move towards Hermon and just tell you that it is the change in the face reflected on Hermon that we're aiming at today. We all go through different seasons in life, and yet there is something that we are aiming for. Do you want to aim for perfection today? Yes. Turn with me to Exodus 34 and verse 29. Say there when you are there. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, 
with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Why was his face radiant? When's the last time you spoke with the Lord? When you speak with the Lord, what can it do to your face? But many times people speak into the Lord, they don't have a radiant face, do they? Many times people praying actually feel more guilty, more convicted, more everything, right? Maybe they're not having the right conversation. When you have the right conversation with the Lord, when you are receiving His Word to you, what could the Lord of the universe say to you that didn't make you happy? Even if He points out sin in your life, now it's been pointed out, you know what to do with it. Shouldn't that make you happier? Would you rather live with something ugly? No, see, when Moses came down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the other Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Man, there couldn't be a truer thing said in all the world than when a guy is right with God, when he is glowing with the Lord, the other people that are not right with the Lord don't want to come near. You're worried about what it says about you when your face is compared with a radiant face. But Moses called to them. That's one of the things I love about a radiant face. When you know that you're reflecting the Lord, you have the confidence to call to others. Hey, how's your witness been? I mean, how confident have you been to recount the good things that the Lord is doing for you? Hmm. How about that? But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. What do you mean came back? Well, when they saw how radiant he was, they ran away. But sometimes people come back, praise God. Yeah. And he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him. How many came near him? You mean they all came to the man that was glowing of heaven? They were all scared. They all went away, but they all came back. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. Somebody say all the commands. All the commands. Do you want all the commands of God or just the ones you find acceptable? When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. When was he radiant again? When he was sharing what the Lord had commanded him. What do you think will make you radiant, Christy? What do you think will make you radiant, Rob? When we hear from God and share what we hear, doesn't that make a person radiant? Yes. Yes. So, but they ran from me. It's okay. They'll come back. <laughs> right? They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face when, until he went to speak with the Lord. Look, when you really engage the Word of God, it begins to engage you. You become as radiant as the Word that you have now received. One of the things that I love about marriage enrichment is people come in thinking that they really don't 
you know, I, I will, we'll do this, but I mean, to, for your benefit, pastor, we'll do this. I can tell you think it's important. They immediately start to struggle because they didn't know where their problems were. And then every week you start to see bigger smiles, closer seats, all kind of things. The word of God makes you radiant. Amen. You, there ought to be no such thing as a miserable Christian or one that looks miserable. Amen. No, there, there can't be. The word makes us radiant. The word is what now defines us. Now, consider what was radiant. His face was. His countenance was. The most recognizable part of Moses had now been transformed. Now, my wife is an amazing, beautiful creature, radiant all of the time. We've been married long enough that if three women put their hands on a table, I know what my wife's hand looks like. But it'd be kind of, I would be worried if Rob knew the difference. Does that make sense? Like, when you really get to know somebody, you can look at just an ear and go, that's my wife's ear. I know it is. It was not some hidden part of Moses that was made radiant. It didn't take his mama to come and examine every part of him or his wife. All of Israel could see that the most recognizable, most forward part of Moses, the part of Moses that represented who he was to the whole world. If there was a Facebook in his day, Moses' face would be on the front of his Facebook. It was radiant. See, that's what the Word of God does to you. It changes every part of your most visible life. We sometimes pretend that something is going on deep, deep down inside of us and you can't judge me because you can't understand. No, no. When the Word of God gets hold of you, whatever's going on on the inside of you comes right out on your face. I promise yes, that. True. See, Moses engaged with God. So God engaged with Moses. I want a radiant face. Amen. The transformation was accompanied by a testimony that he gave about God's word. In other words, he engaged with God. God gave him his word, made him radiant so others could see he was touched of heaven. And then Moses delivered that word. If you walked out of this room and saw somebody with a glowing face, you might ask him how they got that way. The same way that if you saw a bush that was on fire but did not burn up, you might go to see that strange sight. The same way that if you saw jars that could not be emptied of their oil or fish that was multiplied or any other supernatural sight. I want people to have radiant faces. Amen. Amen. Come on, do you want to be radiant today? Yes. What an unusual thing to say to men and women in a room. Right? Ladies, isn't this why you purchase cosmetic products? Woo. Isn't that part of the sale is that you will become radiant? That there's a beauty, there's something external that needs to be added to you. What we're saying is this is kind of a radiance that comes from the inside of you and cannot be hidden. Yeah. Come on now. Today the Lord has got something for you. You can't be asleep on us today. You've got to understand and start to engage with this now because what pastor just gave you is good enough that we could wrap it up, but we're not going to. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 6. With Moses set as our backdrop, I want to continue in the law, that which is supposed to incline our hearts. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 22. And I'm excited because I got a little revelation last night as I was studying. I got a little nugget from the heavens. Amen. And it was special to me. 
It was so special to me that I hope that I can express it to you today because it really just blessed me. Yeah. I was sitting there on my couch going, isn't it amazing when a revelation, you realize how simple it is sometimes? Yes. It's profound and then you start seeing it everywhere. Look in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. I've read this passage. I've quoted this passage. I've started off graduation ceremonies with this passage. I've done all kinds of things with this passage. But never have I had uh, the radiant part of God's presence on it like it was for me last night. The Lord said to Moses in verse 22. Who do you say it to? Moses. Yeah, the same man with a radiant face. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Anybody want to get blessed today? Not in a yes. weird way, but in, with the reality of the word. Say to them. So there's a blessing from what is said. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Oh, man. Simple as this is, I had never connected it as much as I had to Moses interacting with God. Do you know why Moses' face was radiant? Because he was watching the unveiled face of his creator. God shone his light and his face upon Moses, and Moses couldn't help but radiate something that was supernatural. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Oh, man. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Man, I, I thought about it oftentimes before. If the Lord will just but turn towards me, just turn towards me, Lord. I know that my heart will fall into perfect shalom. It will fall into perfect order. I can find your peace if you just, if you just look at me. <laughs> Ever been nervous about something? Nervous about what's going on? And I've been in front of people enough times. Been in front of stadium fulls of people. And that's an interesting thing to do. And the, the truth is, with 95,000 people, I didn't care about the 95,000. I was looking for a particular one in the crowd. And believe me, I would find her. <laughs> the idea that we are looking to someone to find peace just settles you just a little bit. A child that looks to their parent. Is everything okay? It doesn't matter the surrounding. If the child can see their parent, there's a peace that comes upon them. Amen. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. You know, I'd often thought about these ideas of, of, of light, of uh, let your light so shine before men. That they'll see your good works and glorify and honor your Father who is in heaven. What if the light that they're supposed to see in us is the same type of radiance that Moses had? Yeah. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Mm. It goes on. That's not it. Look at the next verse. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. The idea of the Lord shining his face on your face. Going face to face with somebody. That the Lord's name will in, in fact impact and affect your name. And that this is the biggest blessing that a human being can have. Is that God would allow his face to be radiant before you. Unveiled. Unfiltered. Unhindered before you. That you can see God's face. My prayer for you guys all last night and this morning. Has been that his face will shine upon you. Not in some weird religious way. Not just that you come here. We care about you guys. You are our lives. We, this is what we do. We have laid down our life to do this. What we're hoping, what we're praying, what we're counting on God to do today is that his face will shine upon us. And just like Moses, you'll see some radiance. That you'll see God's glory upon three very normal 
men. Man, that's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Normal. Normal. I, I haven't thought about us that way. <laughs> I, was, I, I was trying to give us an upgrade here, Pastor. <laughs> so, the idea that his face would shine upon us. I don't want him to just shine upon us today. I believe that God is trying to work in our hearts. He's trying to get at us so that we'll forget the things that are around us. Forget anything else that we're looking to. Forget any faces that we're trying to find comfort and solace in. And go to his very face and let his glory, let his radiance be upon us today. Come on, saints. Isn't this what we hunger and thirst for? When we're reading God's word, when we're encountering his presence in worship, we're wanting to experience this just magnificent. i got to say that very, very carefully. I think that through. Magnificent glory and transformational power of God. We read earlier in verse 27, put my name on the Israelites. Well, let's go to Genesis 32, verse 28, and see how God put his name on an individual. Truth be told about Pastor Wade's comment that we're normal, that's because he helped elevate us from the paranormal, subnormal, up to normal level. <laughs> Verse 28, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Come on, isn't it good whenever God's presence meets you face to face and there is a name change, there's a character change, there's a reputation change as a result of engaging the presence of God? Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Come on, saints, when we have this face-to-face contact with the Lord, it interact with the presence of God. It transforms everything about you. The personal testimony of mine is that the day that I was born again in my bedroom, I got up after weeping and crying and experiencing that transformation into a new man. I went into the mirror and I did not even recognize myself. I could see in my own eyes the presence of God, the nature and demeanor of Jesus. My countenance had completely transformed from death and now into life. But the, 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 the truth is, is that this is a lifelong wrestling match. That we are to experience that same transformational power as a result of engaging God face to face. Come on, who needs transformation in the house tonight? We're hungry for it. We need it. But we have to wrestle with it. And not just wrestle with it once or twice. Hoping that we have more or less like a sniper shot. One shot, one kill. If I had this one scripture. If I had this one moment in God's presence. Then all of my problems that I'm wrestling with will suddenly be done. Instead, this is something we have to wrestle with throughout the entirety of the night. And the result is that we will continue to do this that will give us a standing until the day of the Lord. That the wrestling has to be completed whenever he returns back here on earth. Who's wrestling for transformation? See, when we read about Moses going up the mountain, that's a day in his life. It's it's not the same day that he's fighting with his wife about whether or not his kids are circumcised. It's, it's, It's not other days in his life. We're reading about that day in his life. But on that day, <laughs> on that day, his face shone with the glory of God. Man, do you want today to be that day? 
See, engaging the word, it engages you. When we become priests of God, we have the ability to help put God's name on people. What an amazing thing when God puts his name on you, it might actually change your name. We saw Jacob become Israel after seeing and wrestling with the face of God. That is what God does. He's in the life-changing business. The life-transforming business. Just like that mountain goes through seasons, our life goes through seasons. You start off innocent and you become corrupt and you must be made righteous again. But then while walking in righteousness, don't you go through wrestling matches? Yes. How many of you would like to win? See, I'd like to win this wrestling match. I want to talk to you for just a second about Elijah. When I say Elijah, how many of you in here, like if we play a word association game, I'm going to say, Elijah, you call out something. Elijah. Elijah. You know, I didn't hear one person say wimp. I didn't hear one person say coward. There's over a hundred people in here and I heard no one say spiritual loser. That's not who you think Elijah is. Hey, let's pick up in uh, 1 Kings 19. When you get to 1 Kings 19, I'm going to start to read to you from verse 7, but I want to give you context. Elijah has, in fact, called down fire. Fuego de Dios. He, He nailed it. And then, right after being answered from heaven with fire and water, and supernaturally outrunning a chariot, he finds a tree and lays down and wants to die. He's got a spirit of suicide on him. He is ready to just hang it up. But none of y'all thought of him that way, do you? That is not the defining feature of Elijah's life. Why do you think that is? And do you wonder which day you have that will define your life? You know, a lot of that is up to you. Because right here in verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise. Look at your neighbor say, I'm going to rise. Rise. Now, I want you to understand you all just said that not one person got out of your seat. Do you see how comfortable we are with lying in church? Do you see how easy it is To have our lips saying something and us not be doing it. You want to practice again? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to arise. Arise. Look, some of you are still sitting. All of you were sitting and are now standing. Come on, as it is now is not how it always will be. There are seasons on that mountain face. You can see it from anywhere in Israel. The whole world is watching you just like Mount Hermon. You are a son of God and you are supposed to tilt your head back with your head held high and reflect the glory of the Lord. Friends, that's a choice just like whether you're sitting or standing right now. You can go ahead and sit down. We're going to learn to stand up on the inside now. (laughs) The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him. How many times? A second time. I don't know whether you need to stand up once, twice, three times. I'm going to stand up as many times as it takes. Amen. I'm not going to just lay down and let the enemy walk on me. Amen. 
Do you find that sometimes of the year it's harder to rise up than other times? Do you find some days of the week are harder to rise up than other days? Look, I get it. I, I even understand that it might be harder if you're pregnant. might be harder if you just lost your job. Might be, and it's still a choice, isn't it? Yes. We can choose the life-transforming power of God. And it's not a one-time-forever choice. You're going to have to make this choice many, many times every single day. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. Anybody feel worn out with life sometimes? (laughs) The journey was too great for Elijah. Then what's the journey look like for me? If the journey was too great for Elijah and none of you said, Coward, wimp. None of you said failure thinking about Elijah and it was too great for him and he wanted to die. What makes his life different? Well, he got up and he ate. You have the right to get up and eat from the word of God anytime you want. And you can stand up physically if that helps you stand up inside. But you know what? Standing up on the outside without standing up on the inside won't help you at all. There has to be an internal spiritual rising for you to be able to reflect God's glory. Amen. Yeah, but you want to, don't you? Yes. Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. You know, this is one of those where the NIV doesn't necessarily show it quite like it is. He eats one time and is able to run on it 41 days. When is the last time you had a real Bonafide, sincere interaction with the Lord. Well, the good news is, He touches you one time sincerely, you're able to go 40 days with no problem. The bad news is, He touches you one time sincerely, you're able to go only 40 days, no problem. We are made to need interaction with the very presence of God. Amen. The very question, when did you get saved, is laced with problems. Because if it's more than 40 days ago, you might be in jeopardy right now. So, well, how could that be? Because we all get to places where we need to eat of the heavens again. So much so that the, the Bible encourages us to eat daily from the heavens. Look, what I wanted to share with you is that the word of God transforms you from suicidal to supernatural. Amen. Now, he's, I've never been suicidal in my life. I bet you've been spiritually suicidal. You've thought about going back to Egypt. You've wondered what it was like, where the neighbors lived. You, you didn't think of taking your physical life, maybe. I did, uh, personally. But he takes you, whether it's physical or spiritual, from suicidal to supernatural. From a life that is not worth living to one that is better than any life you could have lived. How did we not praise a God like that? Man, that ought to make our face radiant. When you eat the bread of heaven, you run in the strength of heaven. Come on now. Is your walk not heavenly enough? Do you not feel radiant enough? Do you feel really ordinary? Because if you do, you may not be eating the extraordinary bread of angels. And it's been given to us. He's actually 
made a banquet feast, a river of delights in his house, an abundant feast, Psalm says. Mm. We get to eat that. And your caloric intake will be reflected in your ability later. Some of us are trying to do too much on too little. And what I mean by that is you took in too little of heaven's bread to be able to do what you think you're called to do. Others have had such heavenly caloric intake and such little activity. Well, your salvation's expanding. (laughs) But your activity's not. See, we need to get this right. The Lord gave him one meal for 40 days. He expected him to be able to run on the 40 days. And watch what happens when the 40 days are over. Because this is not Elijah's last time of struggle in his life. Let's look in verse 13. Same chapter, just a few verses later. When Elijah heard it. So again, what is the context? In the chapter before, he's called fire down from heaven, defeated 850 prophets from other gods. Then he wants to lay under a tree and die. Then an angel comes and feeds him twice and he runs for 40 days on the strength that he received. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mountain cave. What an interesting thought. He's about to encounter God. He's about to, he's about to see God. And what he does is he covers his face. Man, I wish I could tell you how many times as a pastor I've seen you guys pull a cloak over your face. Boy, it's a cloak of a smile. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Pastor. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. No need to come over. We settled our fight. <laughs> Don't mind those pieces on the ground of our life. <laughs> hey, I, I want to tell you that it is as plain to us when you have a cloak over your face as plain it is to see how happy Larissa is when she's hanging out with Justin. Oh, come on, girl. Speaking, speaking of radiant faces. It is as obvious to us as your pastors who actually care about you to walk around with a cloak. You're trying to hide offense. You're trying to hide hurt. You're trying to hide just a dissatisfaction with your own life. And you're like, hey, we're good, pastor. Well, amen. This may not be the moment where you can tell us, but you at least don't have to lie to us. (laughs) Pastor, I've got some stuff going on. And truth is, I'd rather not talk about it. I would so much rather that because at least you're trying to you're trying to allow your face to be open that God's face may shine upon it. Elijah's doing the same thing here. He's he's cloaked himself. The voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Anybody ever ask that question about yourself? Like, what am I doing here? What wherever the here may be? Why am I in this situation? Why am I at this job? Why am I under these circumstances? Perhaps God's just trying to shine his face upon you. You're not asking that while you're sitting here, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Because the Lord is trying to get you to have his face shine upon you. That's why you're here today. That alone ought to make you feel special. Shouldn't it? Did you go through some ups and downs to get here? Oh, then you might as well be here while you're here, huh? See, the reason I've read number six so many times in my life is because I've been called to the fivefold ministry. I try to take it so very seriously. I want to to do this right. You guys deserve people who can do it right before you. That idea that we can bless you by asking God to shine his face upon you, by making him turn his face towards you, by letting his name impact your name. It's the greatest blessing that I can possibly imagine. 
And look here as Elijah continues on in verse 14, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. Past tense. Yeah. Back in the day. Isn't that part of what we do when we cloak our faces though? Don't we point to things that are behind us and say, no, but I deserve to be cloaked right now because I've done some stuff. And some of it was good too. (laughs) Let me give you my highlight reel, right? Any argument that you're in. Don't you pull out all of your, your uh, A-plus papers that you had that you had saved in the file and you pull out every time that your spouse has failed? Doesn't that make that an easy win? That's what you try to do. I've we, been, did, we didn't have A-plus papers. I can't relate to that. C-plus, yes. <laughs> Attendance. Check. <laughs> Sometimes. Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. He said that also, we, we point out our greatness. We point to everyone else's failures. Yeah. <laughs> you know what those people did? Those people rejected your covenant. That person said this. Can you believe the audacity of this situation? They broke down your altars. They're not even worshiping you right. <laughs> I, 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 they don't even sing loud enough. Put your prophets to death with the sword. You do. Or in this case, sometimes put your pastors to death with our words. No, yeah, that's... I'm the only one... sword sticking out of me? <laughs> yeah, I think you got some, some sword marks there. He says, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I promise you that if you're ever in a situation when you feel like you're the only one going through your situation, that is a cloaked position that you are in immediately. Yeah. The warning bell should go off. I'm the only one. I promise you, you're not the only one on your row that's feeling what you're feeling. (laughs) You're just not. But that's that that cloaking device that we have. In verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. What does he tell him? Go anoint a king over Aram. Go anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha as your replacement. You know what God's answer to this is? The way that you're going to get unveiled, uncloaked on your face? Go do exactly what I told you to do. Why don't you turn your face towards me that I might shine upon you that you can then go anoint someone else around you? Quit feeling sorry for yourself and realize that what God gives you is for the people around you. Mm. If he gives you a gift, man, we, got, we had such a powerful service on Wednesday night. If you missed it, you missed it. But the same God who was moving upon us then wants to move upon us now. Because the gifts that he gives is never for you. You got a gift to preach. Fantastic. That's not for you to feel good about your preaching. It's to move people's hearts towards the cross. Come on. If he's given you whatever gift he's given you, it's for others. This is exactly what liberates Elijah in this moment. The man who has a transformed, who's been transformed by God's face, he turns around and anoints other people. Amen. When God's face shines upon you, you know what you must do? You must turn and shine upon others. Moses didn't even know that his face was radiant. He was so just being who he was, he was like, oh, wait, I'm glowing? Yeah, we, we want to run away, you're glowing. Yeah, that has to be the case because you can't just say that you're glowing and radiant when you're not actually seeing God's face for yourself. His lowest moment was as transfigured as he was. It was transfigured into something glorious yeah. and worthy of the kingdom. Amen. Come on now. Let's look at another moment where a low moment was transformed. Go to Judges chapter 6. We'll start in verse 14. There, there. See there. There, there. There, there. 
I'm glad I'm normal. I feel good about myself today. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sitting you? But Lord, Gideon asked. Before we go any further, has God called you to do great things? Do you believe him? When you come to that moment when God is actually asking you to step up and go in the strength you have, you know what most of us say? But Lord, I'm not ready yet. Lord, I'm not smart enough yet. I don't know enough of the word. I don't know how to do all these things. But the Lord is telling you, just like he's telling Gideon, go in the strength you have and go do the great thing that he has called you to do. Gideon had the same response that we do whenever God has called us to do great things. But, but Lord, as somehow he does not know or is unaware of all of our weaknesses and the limitations of our strength. We have to explain to God in our prayer time, right? Because that's usually where we do it, right right here at the altar. We say, Lord, I just, I know you've called me to be a witness at my work, but you know, every time I get there, I just kind of, you know, I get clammy hands and my armpits start sweating and I I just choke up. I don't know what to say. He's telling you the same thing he's telling Gideon. Go in the strength that you have because he is going to provide the rest of it to complete the task that he's ordained you to do. But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I come from a poor heritage of a family line. I'm telling you, you're looking at three men that have come from some weak clans and that God has resurrected in In bodily form, to some degree. Resurrected us by sustaining life in our bodies, sustaining revelation in our minds, putting the fire of God in our spirits and convicting our souls. We stand as witnesses of what God can do with transformational power when you come from a weak clan. Your family heritage will never limit what God can do through you. And in turn... He will take the family heritage that you are building and he will completely change the legacy of your family name. Come on, we have the opportunity to look backwards in the history of men of God, in the word and well after, to see that men like Charles Spurgeon have conquered great things and today are still feeding our souls. Who knows what his family line was like? Some of you may, I personally don't. But my encouragement to you, is when you look at this, do you identify with Gideon's rebuttal to what God has called him to do? But Lord, I come from a weak family heritage. And more importantly, I'm least in my family. How many times have we seen in God's word where he takes the least in the entire family, the most ill-equipped, maybe not the brightest bulb in the pack, and he illuminates them with his glory in his presence. They come face to face with the presence and the glory of God, and it transforms them and makes them from what was the weakest in their family to the greatest in the kingdom of God. The Lord answered. Isn't it good when God just speaks back? We need God to speak back to us, even in the arguing of our own thoughts with him. The Lord answered, I will 
be with you. Come on, that single statement alone should be a rock of revelation and solace that your faith can be built upon because he is meeting you face to face in order to transform your own view of yourself. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Let's get forward in verse 22 and see how this concludes. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. There will be circumstances in time. If it hasn't happened already, it will for you. Where you are struggling with your own insecurities. You are wrestling with your own view of your inadequacies. And what God has put in your life is maybe a co-worker, somebody in this church, a word from a pastor, who's just speaking the word of God to you to revive your soul and transform your own lowly view. And you take it as just a natural thing. Well, you know, Pastor Wade just said that because what he really doesn't like is the fact that I... You know, my co-worker, they're just prejudiced against me in whatever shape or form. But when you have that revelation... That it is God speaking to you face to face. It transforms you from being weak into being mighty and strong. A gibber hayil. When God meets you face to face, it transforms you from being the least to now being included with the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. Whenever you meet God face to face, you are transfigured into a mighty warrior of God. Who wants to be a mighty warrior? Can you imagine that you stepped into a ring with somebody and when they turned to face you, their face was glowing? See, we are a supernatural breed. And when we eat of the bread of heaven, when we've engaged the word and the the word has engaged us, when we have gotten out of our cloaking our face, when we are standing with the words that God has given us, we're powerful in any situation. Yes. Look, I want to show you uh, a powerful situation that you're very familiar with. Go to Daniel 3. When you land in verse 26, say, I'm there. We certainly won't read this whole story because you understand it. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abinbola, servants of the Most High God. Come out! Come here! (laughs) These Hebrew servants are legendary, aren't they? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. I can't say that on any day. (laughs) Neither can I. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abimbola. Check that out. You know, it really is truth that face-to-face contact with flames showed that these men had had face-to-face contact with God. Do you get that? See, 
Sometimes to reveal the glow that is actually on you, you got to be in a hot furnace. That might explain why the Lord allows such difficulties into our life. Because when the difficulties come into our lives and they do not consume us, we become a supernatural sight. When we run for 40 days without a single meal, something is supernatural about it. When we overcome things, something is supernatural about it. Their willingness to have a face-to-face with this earthly king put them, put him into contact with their God. Get this. The king goes from wanting to kill them to identifying their God. See, that's what a radiant face will do. That's what happens when your life is transformed. People look and they see something that they know good and well would destroy them. They expect it to destroy you. They're even uncomfortable if you're not whining with them, if you're not grumbling with them. Have you noticed how how comfortable it is to grumble in a group? You you know what I'm saying? Like when you feel bad, all you want is somebody to agree with you about that. And it's it's kind of sharp edges when somebody goes, no, man, I think today is a wonderful day. You know, you're like, leave now. Your life is in jeopardy. Leave now. But the thing is, is it really is fire that reveals something about the nature of your relationship with the Lord. And you begin to glow. Others see that. They look and go, is that a son of God in the fire? And they begin to notice something is special about you. I want to encourage you that the Lord and his word, they transform a man. They transform not just a man, but even a situation from something that is destructive into something that's altogether glorious. Do you have a destructive situation in your own life? Because God will make it glorious. He, he, He can certainly turn it around. Your very life is proof of that. He takes people from suicidal to supernatural. He can take your disastrous situation and make it divine. We've got to learn to reflect his glory. Amen. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. We're going to continue talking about the very glories of the heavens. What a great thought, Pastor. The idea that we could have lives that are glorious. Come on, turn your neighbor and say glorious. 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 Wow, what a thought. Look in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. It says this. Those who are wise. Anybody ever known someone who claimed to be wise, but it was just a claim? I mean, we live in a society that has the talking heads on TV. Experts who know nothing about what they're speaking of. We're supposed to listen to these people and their thoughts And they have no proven track record whatsoever other than they have an opinion. Congratulations. Here the word of God says those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Now, the idea here is uh, the older that I get, the more I need light to help me read. If it's a dark place, I can't quite, even if there's some light, I need better light. I I need to get something brighter. Some of you guys will hand me your phone sometime and the light is all the way down. I'm like, don't do that. I'll just hand it right back to you and say, fix that, Nick. Just fix it and then hand it back to me. I'm sure it's wonderful. I'm sure it's some great list of something that you've created. 
Turn the light up before I can read this thing. How bright of a light do you want to be? Do you want to be a, a, a burning ember somewhere? Do you want to be a low wattage bulb? How about you start shining with the brightness of the heavens? Man, that's what I want my life to be. My God, I want his presence to be so uh, radiant towards me that I am radiant with the same kind of radiance that the stars have, that the sun itself has. And those who lead many to righteousness, they're like the stars forever and ever and ever. Come on, do you want to burn brightly for the Lord? Do you want to be like a star in the heavens? My God, this is what the Lord is allowing us. Because you know what shining does? It brings on more shining. When we allow our face and have his light to shine upon us, what do we do? We turn and shine into others. This is the principle here. God, when we think about the Newer Testament scriptures that talk about shining, you know what Philippians 2.15 says? It talks about that you will shine like stars in the heavens. I think that the, the writer here is thinking back to passages like here in Daniel. You know what that passage starts off with? That you do everything Avoid, stay away from grumbling and complaining. Man, you get cloaked when we allow ourselves to live and to to speak, to act like the rest of the world does. We're trying to get to the heavenly realm here. We're trying to shine with the brightness of the heavens. How bright is your light today? Have you allowed a little flicker, a little simple bulb to be as bright as you need to be? Look, I'm a light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Yeah, you can go ahead and let your little light shine. I want to shine with the brightness of the heavens. I want to have this go on for generation after generation after generation. Long after my name is forgotten. Long after no one even thinks about me. You know what they'll do is they'll look back and they'll be able to see a star. That'll lead others. That'll guide others. That'll provide light in dark places. That is what we're after. Because others will follow. We were looking out at the ocean a while back and going, who was the first guy who just decided I'm going that way? Like when you're roller skating, if you were like me, my wife was all the cool, you know, roller skate every weekend. I was the guy on the side. <laughs> I'd have been like that, I think, if I was a, <laughs> a fisherman going, I'll just stay close where I could see the shore. Who was the guy that did that and said, you know what? These stars will lead me, though. I know I can get back where I'm supposed to because there's a light that I can look at and guide my way. Man, others are going to follow a transfigured life. Shine like what? We're going to shine like the brightness of the heavens. Boy, don't you hear it again? Lord, make your face shine upon us. That's exactly where we are. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 60. Glorious. Come on, Gabriel. Shining already. Shining. Isaiah chapter 60. And verse 1. Arise. Shine. You know why? Because your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you. And His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light. And the kings to the brightness of your dawn. Do you hear this theme? Daniel had it. Isaiah's having it. He's speaking to us in terms that we're supposed to be able to get of light and darkness, that God's light will come upon you. And you know what happens? It changes from his light to your light because you're reflecting it purely. Lift up your eyes and look about you. 
All assemble and come to you. Your sons and daughters come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. My God, I want to be radiant today, church. There's something about us that's not just want to talk about being radiant, but actually allowing his face to shine upon us that we might be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you, to the riches of the nations. Those things will come. I am just so excited today because I feel like the Lord wants to make us radiant in this place. Somebody say, Lord, Lord, make me radiant. Make me radiant. Now, I want to help you from that passage get what that looks like. The Lord's light has come. It rises upon you. The Lord rises upon you. Nations will come to your light. You're going to have to take ownership of what he's given you, won't you? Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's uh, hit verse 5 again. Then you will look and be radiant. As you look towards the light that is him... That light becomes you, and you become radiant. Oh, you're right. You ready? Ladies, where are you at in the house? Turn, look at somebody, say, I'm radiant. Watch me reflect his glory. See, that's a responsibility that we have. Now, if you just said, I'm radiant, you need to know about the second requirement here. Is your heart throbbing and swelling with joy? Amen. It is not possible to have a supernaturally face lit by God himself reflecting his glory and not feel that way on the inside. That's faking. That's that's cloaking. But if God has supernaturally lit you up, it's going on on the inside too. And if it's going on on the inside, be patient. It's going to start to show up on the outside. You know what? We're going to have to rise up. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to have to become what the Lord has told us to become. Amen? Amen? People are drawn to those that are glowing with the light of God. Isn't that true? Yes. yes. You have the right to reflect the name of the one that you belong to. It's been years since Jennifer walked around and said she was a Hall. That's her maiden name. Jennifer walks around as a Stevens. Because she became mine. Oh my God, I'm glad she did. She's a reflection of me. Even though she has a father and mother. Does that make sense to you? You ought to get this. Our lives were designed that way. Well, I'm not sure where all of your origins were. I'm sure yours were noble. Mine were not. But that is not what I reflect today. What I'm reflecting today is the heart, the passion, the desire of the one that I am now in covenant with. See, that's a high responsibility, but it's a high privilege. It's contagious. How important is it that we are transfigured into the brightness of the stars of heaven so that the lives that depend upon us will get what they need? Now, forget about yesterday. That's, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about right now. See, in the past, we, there's, there's some place that nobody did this good. Uh, somewhere in your life, you've sat by a broom tree. You've covered something with a cloak. But the thing is, is you can rise up now. You can change this immediately. A mirror doesn't have to work very hard to reflect light. You, know, you just need to reposition yourself. Anybody want to do that? Yeah. 
Anybody want to do that? Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll start in verse 6. Was Jeremiah a great prophet of God? He endured sufferings for speaking boldly the words that God told him to speak. He's a man to be revered. But in verse 6, let's see some of the inner struggles that he had when God first called him. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I am only a child. How many of you in the room can relate to this? Come on, raise your hand. Say yes, it's me, because it's about speaking. In this understanding where Jeremiah begins, we're able to see that God is calling the things that are not as though they are. And more importantly, he desires to come face to face with us to transform us and grow us up beyond what we have limited ourselves to. Go down to verse 18. Let's look at this further, what God says. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. The transformational power of God, by being face to face with him, was able to transform Jeremiah into from a child into being a conqueror. Look at that. A fortified city. An iron pillar. I've ran against concrete. I can't imagine iron throwing my shoulder or face into. And a bronze wall. This speaks of immovable strength. When you look at a child, it, it's just... So easy to imagine just slightly pushing them out of your way if you need to pass by. But if they were turned into a fortified city, an iron pillar or a bronze wall, they would be immovable. That's what God seeks to do with every single one of us is to transform the way that we view ourselves in a childish fashion and grow and transform into the immovable standard that he is. Amen. When he makes his face to shine on you, it is shining, in, it is his shining, and you are the willing vessel. We have to offer up our insecurities before God and just come right out and face it. This is what I'm struggling with, and I therefore need your transformation in me to conquer this. When we see the Lord shining on you, they are seeing the kingdom of God coming here on earth. Come on, let's take a look. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 28. They're seeing the kingdom to come. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 28. Let's take a look at what this looks like. Are you there? Now, now you got to have to shake yourself, some of you. If you've been to prison and the sleepies are coming on your eyes, tell it to go away. You're not going to want to miss what we have here. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 28. Say there when you're there. It says, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Man, we're going to talk about all kinds of things that, that uh, many eschatological branches of, of theology part over this very verse right here. Many who are standing here. What had just happened? Peter had gotten a revelation of who the Jesus, the Christ was. 
upon this rock of revelation, Jesus says he's going to build the church. This is just a few verses later. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. I wonder what he could have possibly meant by that. Scholars for millennia have fought over this, this very verse. What could this mean? Is this a, a future fulfillment? Is this something in their day that they were expecting? When in doubt in the Bible, just keep reading. Amen. Little key that will unlock the scripture for you. Look at the next verse with me. After six days. Everybody say six days. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. It is the opinion of your pastors that this mountain is Mount Hermon, right here, that we are talking about today. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, (laughs) and his clothes became white as light. That's not just white. That's not, we're not talking about color here. We're talking about a brightness that surpasses any color that we can imagine. It became white as light. What an incredible thought. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. This showed that Jesus Christ came just like the prophet Moses. It showed him to be a prophet like Moses. It showed him to be more than just a man. He was shining like the brightness of the heavens. It was showing that the kingdom that has now come and is coming is in this present circumstance. I'm reminded of Hebrews 11. That the idea is that without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Well, demons believe that Jesus exists. What is it saying? God is going to reward those who earnestly seek him as they believe that he exists in this very situation that we're in. Realizing that he's not just a God somewhere else, that they have seen the radiance of his face. They've seen his clothing become white like light. It's something that transforms them and they're able to see that, that he exists right here and right now, that he's moving upon us now. This shows, this passage shows that the kingdom has now come and yet it is also still coming. In the Synoptic Gospels, we see uh, this story repeated. It's in every one of them, and a time frame is given in every one of them. I want to just read to you quickly from Mark while Matthew turns to Luke. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Mark 9.1 says, And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Then the next verse says, After six days. And it goes on to the transfiguration. I want to encourage you that when you see heaven's transfiguration, you are seeing the kingdom of God come with power. When you see a life thoroughly changed by the presence of God, you are seeing the kingdom of God in that person's life. Luke 9, 27 says, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain and prayed. The encouragement from this is that when you see a transformed life, you have seen the kingdom of God. Some of us have days that are hellish, and we need and desire to see that day of the kingdom of God.
Joy, will you put the slide on the screen? Look, when we see six days, it says after six days, and then we see about eight days, they're saying that a week from the time that Jesus said this, they saw his transfiguration. That when you, they will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. They did. They saw him standing with Moses and Elijah. They saw him glowing with the heavens. Mark simply says they will see the kingdom of God come with power. Did they see the kingdom and its power? Yeah. In Luke, they will see the kingdom of God. This is not a difficult scripture, particularly when you read scripture in light of scripture. But here's the encouraging part of this, the part that moves towards a quick challenge for us. What would you be able to say someone else would see in your life in one week? See, after six days is seven days. About eight days is by the end of the seventh day. (laughs) Does that make sense? In one week, what will people see in your life? We're about to start a brand new year. Wouldn't you like to be able to look at the people around you and say, it's been a tough year. You look at me and within a week... You're going to see the kingdom of God all over me. Because Jesus did that. And before we think that it was just Jesus who did that, we probably uh, ought to move on to others that it happened with. Turn with us to Acts chapter 6, verse 15. Acts chapter 6, verse 15. It says this, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, (laughs) looked intently. They're staring at this man. And what they saw was that his face was like the face of an angel. This is not saying that the man was an attractive man. This was saying that the man had the very presence of the heavens upon him, that he was shining like the stars in the universe, that he had something of a heavenly nature that was upon him, that the very radiance that God has, that God in fact shone his face upon Stephen, and Stephen's face looked like that of an angel. Move to Acts 7.53, because it's not just his face that looks like an angel. 7.53. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand. Stephen had the face of an angel, but he had the deeds of God. It was so much so... That this man is standing there with the words of God, sharing it with a glowing appearance. He's become a carrier of the name. The ironic blessing is true about him. His face is now reflecting that God is shining upon him. He is carrying God's name. He is truly witnessing the kingdom. And because of that, the people who are standing there are witnessing the kingdom. In other words, one is displaying it and the other is seeing it displayed. Anytime you see an anointed man of God who is glowing with the presence of God, you are seeing the kingdom and you are that man of God. That's the point. Jesus didn't say, go shine my light all over the world. 
He said, let your light shine before men. This is right back to Israeli fire. You are being caught with a celestial fire that is shining on your face. Our hope is that you have the face of an angel, the deeds of God, and that you make it to the throne. Have you considered for a second what is said about Stephen in this chapter is his countenance is glowing like Moses. He is speaking the words of God just like Jesus. And he's the first among the Christian martyrs to make it to the throne. And Jesus stands. He who is seated at the right hand of God stands to receive him. Would you like a standing ovation from heaven? You're going to have to rise up on earth. You're going to have to rise up. You want Jesus to rise when you enter his presence? You're going to have to rise in his presence right now. You're going to have to learn to get up. Now, I'm like everybody else. I've had some down days this year. We've had some moments where we, you know, but none of them are anything but light and momentary when you consider the reflective glory of God. See, that's the attitude with which we have to go forward and win. Don't you think? Yes. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. You know, Jesus not only experienced the transfiguration on a mountain, he also experienced the transfiguration in a grave. And here we see a transfiguration in the heavens. This happens to Jesus. It also happens to multitudes of mankind, and it will happen in all of the heavens. Come on, while we're talking about this, let's turn to Revelation chapter 7. We are quickly approaching a close. You need, to, you need to make sure that you have your heart attuned to what we're, we're closing here. You need to have your minds on alert. You need to have your hearts ready to receive what God has. Look at Revelation 7. Let's look at verse 9. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And I can't help to think, what if this isn't white like a color? What if this isn't white like a fabric? What if it's white like light? That these are people who are so reflecting. They've learned on this, in this world to so reflect the very radiance of our God that they are now standing before the throne in their full unveiled version. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What happened to Jesus, what happened to these people, is for the countless multitudes who have not yet heard. As we are supposed to stand in righteousness, as we are supposed to stand with the radiance from the heavens, it is so our God may gain glory and we may take others with us. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull 
For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness, ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Come on, let's take a look at this passage in verse 14. Their minds will remain dull for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. Can I encourage you? First thing that you should look at when you see this, the problem wasn't with the old covenant. The problem wasn't with God's word. What was the problem? The problem was that the people were veiled, that their eyes could not see the radiance that was set before them. The problem is the veil, not the covenant. Look at verse 15. I'm sorry. Look at verse 16. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, how many times have we read this passage? Many, many times. The very first thing that we could see here is that when we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away for us. We're able to see his radiance. But when you, the idea that we're supposed to get along with that is not just that when we turn to the Lord, that the veil is taken away. But when we are able to shine, to be transformed, to be transfigured in and of ourselves, to have his face shine upon us and us radiate that out, it allows the veil to be taken away from someone else. That we can be the light that then in turn takes their veil away. Because we're shining with the same radiance of the heavens. That same brightness that comes from the heavenly realm is what we now have. And we are able to shine that out. And in that way, their veil is being able to take, being able to take away. It is our responsibility. Yeah. If you are shining... If you want to be like Moses, if you want to be like Elijah on Mount Hermon, if you want to have the brightness from God, he gives that to you as you are ready to shine it towards other people. It is unstoppable when you've been touched from the heavens that it will impact those around you. If you're not impacting those around you, perhaps it's because your light has been veiled. Perhaps it is that you've cloaked these things. And today it is important that we uncloak. It is important because people's lives are depending on it. Not only our lives here in this place. God, how many times do we sit and think about a sermon just as it only as it only as it impacts us? That's important. We've got to apply the word to our own heart first. That is so very important. But that's not all that there is. My God, are you shining brightly enough? Are you just a single candle? Or are you shining with the brightness of the heavens tonight? The transfiguration of Christ occurred on Mount Hermon. It occurred at the highest point in Israel, which is visible even from the lowest point in Israel. See, when a life is fully transformed by God, that life is visible to people in the lowest place. It's visible to people in the highest place. Station makes no difference. We need heaven's transformation, don't you think? It occurred on Hermon, which is the source of the Jordan River. Jordan means the descender. So it goes from the sacred mountain and it descends all the way to a place that was once like the Garden of Eden, but because of judgment had become the Dead Sea. 
Do you recognize that? Do you realize that? God wanted the transfiguration to be visible even if you were in the place of judgment. We start off in life as innocent children born to a damned race. And at some point, we prove that we're deserving of that title. We really do. And then you get to be born of heaven. In a sense, that's, how, that's in, in a moment. In another sense, you're being transfigured into heaven's image every day for the rest of your life. You know, that like the Jordan is supposed to be something that flows nourishment all the way down through the rest of God's people. Your life is to be radiant. Your heart is to be throbbing with joy. It ought to bring nourishment to everyone around you. You know what else the transfigured life really does? Hermon is the most obvious border in Israel. In other words, when you look, you can see Syria, you, you can see Lebanon, you can see Jordan, all, all from Hermon. In fact, they all meet right there on Hermon. The transfigured life is really what puts a border between you and the world. Because it doesn't matter what you believe. If others don't see or are not impacted, if it doesn't show up in your life. But when you make it very clear, when people see that you are a representation of the Lord, it's a border that protects you. It shows the difference between the sons of God and the sons of darkness. You know where the Bible speaks something that is beautiful about Herman? When brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the dew dripping off of Herman, like oil rolling off of Aaron's beard. The priestly blessing that we started with, that God would, would make his face shine upon you, that he would bless you. That's what he wants for all of you, because when you receive the reflection of the Lord, it drips onto others. Aaron's loved by Jewish people. He's loved by Jewish people because he pursued peace. He cared about his fellow man. I'm saying that we have a responsibility to get over our guilt, over our shame, uh, over our depression, over failures, over puffed up nature from success, over ourselves. And say, Lord, within a week... People are going to see the kingdom of God in me. You know, the big debate about that passage is, is that at the end of the, uh, is it hundreds or thousands of years in the future? Was it at the end of the first century or was it right then? Yes. Yeah. You see the kingdom of God when somebody is operating in it. When you experience the spiritual gifts Wednesday that you did, you tasted of the kingdom of God. Hebrew says that. You know, I don't want to so much argue eschatology as I want Israel's veil to be removed. You know, if in here we practice and out there we preach, then I'm viewing domestic Christianity as practice for our international arm that is to see Israel's veil removed. 
Okay, maybe that's too much for you. Let's start with your ability to rise up and grab hold of the image of God that you are to reflect. Will you rise up? There has never been a year where our church accomplished more. And there's never been a year that has been more difficult for our church to accomplish its task. Some of you feel that strain. You've been blessed. But man, this is, uh, you might have some dings and bruises on you. You know, a second in the presence of the Lord will renew that. Wherever you go eat today, wherever you go today. Have you been touched enough by the Lord that they look and they go, something's different. If you haven't gotten that yet, my hope is that you'll get it now. God gave you 66 slices of bread from the angels the law was put into effect through angels you have 66 books that are the same supernatural food that Elijah ran on we've taught it for almost 400 hours this year at this altar is a buffet we do not have to walk out of here flat we don't have to walk out of here sad we can walk out of here radiating God's glory. Yes. Oh, it's, it is entirely up to you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to come again. Not a first time or a second time, a many times. To come again and say, put your name on us. Lord, let your light become our light. Mighty God, let us eat of the bread you've already given us. Let us be transfigured in a way that people in lowly places find encouragement. Let's be transfigured in your presence today, Lord. Amen.